You turn over to James chapter 3. There was a television show that was aired that was uh, on the History Channel, and I did not see this, but uh, read this story about it. The man who predicted 9-11. Did anyone see that? It was a one-hour presentation that focused on a man by the name of Rick Rescorla, uh, long before September the 11th. Rick Rescorla, the 60-year-old head of security for the Morgan Stanley Bank, developed an evacuation plan for the bank. The bank's offices were situated high on the south tower of the World Trade Center. Rescora was convinced that Osama bin Laden would use jet planes to try and destroy the World Trade Center. The, plane, the plan and its preparation were hugely unpopular with the Morgan Stanley staff. Many of who thought Rescora was mad. On September 11, 2001, American Airlines Flight 11 hit the World Trade Center Tower 1 at 8.46 a.m. Rick ignored building officials' advice to stay put and began the orderly evacuation of Morgan Stanley's 2,800 employees on 20 floors of the World Trade Center Center Tower 2 and 1,000 employees in Building 5. Rick reminded everyone to be proud to be American. Everyone will be talking about you tomorrow and sang God Bless America and other songs over his bullhorn to help evacuees stay calm as they left the building. Rick had, um, had most of Morgan Stanley's 2,800 employees as well as people working on other floors out of WTC2 uh, safely out of the building by the time United Airlines Flight 175 hit at 9.07 a.m. After having reached safely, Rick returned to the building to rescue others still inside. He was last seen heading up the stairs to the 10th floor of the collapsing World Trade Center Tower 2. His remains were never recovered. As a result, Rick's actions as a result of Rick's actions, only six of Morgan Stanley's 2,800 employees in World Trade Center Tower 2 were killed on September the 11th, including Rick and three of his deputies who followed him back into the building. The remainder, the remainder of this very moving broadcast focused on Morgan Stanley bank employees who now in tears were praising and acknowledging Rick for saving their lives from total destruction that day. Many felt so guilty and apologetic they thought Rick foolish to keep preaching and standing for what he believed would happen if they were not ready. Those interviewed said they would never forget Rick. He was their hero. Mr. Viscorla left behind a widow, Susan, and two children that day. Since not a land, a memorial stone was erected in Rick's hometown of, and I think I say this right, Halle, H-A-Y-L-E, Cornwall to commemorate his life and the sacrifice he made to save others. Boy, sometimes it's hard to stay the course. Unless you are thoroughly convinced that something is right, that a direction is set, it is very tough to stay that course. I tell you this story because think of what Rick went through for all the time before. They didn't say in the in the story that I read, when he made the prediction or when he started the preparations for it, just that it was long before. So we don't know how many months, years, or whatever the time frame was that he was telling people, we need to prepare, we need to do this. And can you imagine Morgan Stanley going through practicing, evacuating 2,800 employees? How many work hours does that consume? And yet they continue to do it because of one man, and of course they... Are, are glad for that now. But we want to talk about today staying the course. Sometimes staying the course is a difficult thing to do. In 
James chapter 3. We read some things in the tongue and it wasn't too long ago we covered some of these. But my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways or many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. For with it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? And can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Our mouth sets direction. We've talked about this a number of times. That the things we say, the things we do with our mouth sets a direction that we tend to follow and that we, uh, we tend to go in. But a lot of times, as we hear teaching on this, that, well, you can have the things you say, and of course, people have gotten off on that, and they have the uh, name-it-claim-it gospel that's out there, and many are accused of teaching this. Uh, and if, if those who uh, are in faith churches or word churches are accused of following after a name-it-claim-it doctrine. I have seen Christians who do hold to a name-it-and-claim-it name doctrine, but I have yet to find a ministry that actually teaches it. I'm not saying it's not out there. I'm saying I've not seen it. I know a lot of people have been accused of teaching it, but I've not seen anybody teach it. But you find, can find people who just take a little bit and then run with it and they get, they fall into this name and claim it. And basically that anything I see that I want, I can have. That's not Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. But that's what a lot of people go out there and run around and do and they make a name for, for others who would actually have faith in God. So because of that, sometimes we've thrown the whole thing out and say, well, if you can't, I don't want to go that way, so I'm just not going to go in this direction at all. But the things that we say with our mouth is certainly things that we, we do. We set a direction. We're not immune to this. We've done this all the time. Now that the temperature is getting colder, how many of you are a little bit more mindful of what your thermostat is set at before you go to bed? You're going to wake up, and I guess tomorrow, tomorrow morning is supposed to be one of the coldest that we've had in the, in the fall. It's going to get down to the low 40s or upper 30s or something like that. So you might be a little bit more mindful and you might go to your thermostat and say, I want it to be 68, even though it's plenty fine when you go to bed, but you know that that will be watching the whole time and making sure that it, when it gets to, the, to that time that it'll warm it up for you. It'll keep it going. Or if you go into your car and your car is cold, a lot of cars now have thermostats on them and you can set that thermostat to whatever temperature you want your car to be. And we don't think that funny at all. It's not 72 degrees in your car. But you want it to be 72, and so you set the thermostat to be 72. 
You, it's not 72 degrees in your house, but you want it to be that way. And so that's what you do. How many times have you had an empty tank of gas, no gas in the, in the thing, and you know tomorrow morning you have to go somewhere early and you don't want to mess with that. And so you say to someone in the house, I am going down to the gas station to fill up the car with some gas. What did you do? You set your direction, didn't you? This is what I'm going to do. I am going to the Gennardi's to go grocery shopping. You're not there yet. You haven't picked up the keys. You haven't put your coat on. But that's, we've set our direction. And we do this many times. Sometimes we've gone been in school and we've taken a course. And in that course, we, I am going to get an A. Haven't you ever said that? Aren't we setting a course? Or if you're going to have a baby, I'm going to have a boy. I'm going to have a girl. And we've set our direction. And these are things that we, we, we constantly set our direction with our mouth. Of course, sometimes we set it negatively. How many have ever heard? No one here, I'm sure, but other places. People have come out and they've said, I just know I'm going to catch the flu. I just know I'm going to get sick. I just know if I go on that trip, I'll have an accident. And we've set a direction with our mouth. And we've done things. Of course, we've also had other, other things we'll say. I can't love that person. I hate them. And we've, these are all directions that we set. These are things we set with our mouth. What we say with our mouth is important. But there are some times that we've said things with our mouth in faith. We've learned about how I can have faith in the things that I say and that if I have faith in the things that I say, that they will happen. And we've heard, we've heard things like that and we have worked to change our direction, to change the things that we do to have that occur. But how many of you have had times when things that you have said did not happen? Okay, a few of you have. We'll keep on going. <laughs> well, we, we're looking at three reasons why what we say does not happen. Because if, if we are not understanding or understanding why things I say don't happen, it will affect the way that we rule and the way that we reign. When a king who rules over his kingdom says something, does it not happen? The, the king doesn't carry it out, but the king says, this will be this way. This rule will be made. This will be, will happen. We're going to war. We're not going to war. We need to build this, this city. We need to not build this city. The king will say these things. He's ruling and reigning. As we looked at in the scriptures, we are called to rule and reign in this life. We got to rule and reign with the, the way that God said it. So there's three reasons why what we say does not happen. The first reason, and this is probably the biggest and the one we run into the most, is no faith no faith in speaking it. Sometimes we have said things and we have no faith in speaking it. Now, I am not saying that you do not know that the Word of God says that you can have it. I said that there's no faith in speaking it. There's a difference in that. In Proverbs 10, verse 19, it says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. You can say a whole lot of things with your mouth, folks. And just because you're saying a whole lot of things with your mouth doesn't mean that it's all good. In a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. Sometimes, Christians especially, we need to just hush. I know that there's power in the words that you say, but you've got to understand there's power in the words that you say, so maybe you should say less of them. Maybe you ought to stop and think about it a little bit before you say them. 
There are too many times that Christians are uttering words and have not put faith into them or thought into them or sought after God on it at all and they've just stated it. And then they're stuck. Well, I said that. Now what am I going to do? We've got to make sure that there's faith in the things that we are speaking. I don't know who said this, but I, this is one of those principles I had written down. If you will be more selective, you will be more effective. If you will be more selective, you will be more effective. Become selective in the things that you say. Don't feel that you have to utter something as soon as you hear it. Wait. Hold up for a little bit. Get back in there and check what does the Word has to say about that. story I've related a few times. I know others have too. Brother Hagin used to teach us on this. That uh, one time when he was out and he was traveling on the road, and, you know, back then there wasn't planes. There was just, you know, you get in the car and you drive to here. And then you get in the car and you drive to there. And you, So he's gone for weeks at a time. And one of the letters he got from his wife was talking about some growth that his daughter had. And he, um, he got that letter. Back then they delivered mail pretty good. And generally you got the mail in a day. And he got the letter, but he didn't respond. They were writing each other every day, but he didn't respond. Didn't include anything about it for two days. He went back and at nighttime after the meeting, in the morning time, he just meditated on healing scriptures. Now this is the man who was going around teaching about healing. Who God had ministered to him, taught him a lot of things about healing, had been healed himself of a number of things. But he, he went away and for two days just meditated on healing scriptures. Didn't utter a word about anything with her condition. Didn't say anything in the letter. Didn't say anything out loud. Didn't say anything to anybody around him. Just meditated on the healing scriptures. And then after two days, he wrote back to her, you tell, because he got, got God's view on it, he got God's view on it, and he was absolutely sure, I know this thing is gone. And so he wrote back to his wife and says, you tell her, daddy said she's healed. And she did. Went on home and told that, and I think, I forget the time frame now, it's been too long since I heard the story, but it may have been only like a week. The, the growth just fell right off. But for, the, for his daughter, that settled it right there. As soon as she heard, daddy said you're healed, she didn't think about it again. Didn't have to mess with anything with school. And, and that was it. But you have to get that assurance. Sometimes we need to go away and just renew ourselves on it. We know that God wants to take care of our needs, but we're not always willing to take a day or two and go meditate on scriptures that tell us about how, how God will take care of our finances. I just went, on, well, I know that He'll do that, so I'll just believe that He will and go on. Without knowledge, folks, there is no faith. And you cannot have knowledge that so-and-so said so. You've got to have knowledge of the Word of God. You have got to know it. It doesn't do any good if Ethel knows the Word and she taught you that healing is for today. It does you no good if my wife knows the Word and she was ministering and breakfast and, and told you that healing is for today. It doesn't do any good if you turned on the TV and you found Benny Hinn and he said healing is for today. Doesn't do any good if you found Creflo Dollar and he said healing is for today. What matters is what you know. I know because I went to the Word of God. You've got to get that assurance. You've got to know that this is what God said. Jesus was very selective about his words. Jesus only spoke what the Father said. In John chapter 8 and verse 28, Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of Myself but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. His words were carefully constructed around what the Father had taught him. 
Further down in verse 38, I speak what I have seen with my Father and you do what you have seen with your Father. I speak what I have seen with my Father and you do what you have seen with your Father. You could spend some time on that just looking at that, into that part. He spoke, they did. But who is more powerful? John chapter 12, verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. If we speak of our own authority, there isn't the power. We have to speak of His authority. Therefore, we got to go back sometimes and just renew. Father, what authority am I working under with this? What is it that you have to say? What is it that you, that's going on with this? And go back to His Word and get reviewed on His Word. We were getting into the difference between hearing uh, the, the Word on something and hearing the Spirit on something. When our words that we speak are based on the Word and based on what we uh, hear from the Word and based on what we hear from the Spirit. We have CDs of that if you weren't here. Eventually, we'll get up there on the web. But it's important for us to understand that. Some things we need to, need to come from the Word. And this is one of those things that needs to come from the Word. John 14, verse 10. Do, not, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. So Jesus said, now this is all comes out of the one Gospel, so none of these are repeated stories. He is saying, I speak what my Father says. I don't speak of my own authority. I don't speak of my own desires. I speak of what my Father wants. I speak what my Father taught. I speak what my Father wills. If we're going to walk in the authority of Jesus, we need to walk the way He did. What does He will in the situation? What does He want in the situation? Does He want you healed? Does He want you to have that job? Does He want you to buy that car? Does He want you to get that house? What does the Father want? Now, some of those things, you can find out what the will of God is just by simply reading His Word. But other things, you've got to get into the Spirit. Find out what the Spirit has to say. Because how many of y'all know the Word of God doesn't come to you and say, Thou shalt not work at that company. That doesn't happen that way. You've got to find out what the Spirit of God is having to say. On the thing, He may know some things about that company, so don't go there. He may know some other things about this one, that's better. And who knows what it is? Maybe a bad experience for you work-wise. It may be that a company folds up in a year. You, I don't know what it is, but you just listen to the Spirit of God and you find out, God, what is your will in this? Where do you want me? And when He says, that's where I want you, then that's where you go after. But sometimes, that, that takes some time. We'd rather just know, well, the Word of God says I'll prosper, so I'll just take the better job. And there's no time spent on getting the knowledge of God, getting the will of God. If you're going to reign in life, you reign under authority. You reign under His authority. You've got to find out what does He want for your life. What's going on with Him? Put in your outline this. Just because you know it doesn't mean that you believe it. There's a whole lot of people who know things and do not believe them. You cannot just know something. You must believe it. It must get from a point of being knowledge to belief. I'll give you a real good example on this. How many of you know that thousands of people per year bungee jump off of bridges safely? Now, how many believe that you will do it safely? How many of you know that thousands of people 
skydive and land with a parachute open and do just fine. How many of you believe that it will work for you? See, we can have knowledge of all kinds of things. How many of you all know that dogs make wonderful pets? But how many do not believe you will find the right dog for your house? And you have stayed away from it. Well, I know it works for other people, but I don't think... See, there's a difference between knowing something and believing it. And you have to get to that place with whatever it is that God has promised you that you not only know it, but you believe it. I not only know bungee jumping is safe, but I'm going to do it. I not only know that jumping out of an airplane with a parachute is safe, I'm going to do it. Some of you have no desire to do that. That's fine. I would love to. My son and I have been contemplating plans, so you just keep that quiet. So. <laughs> yeah, he was talking the other day. He says, boy, doesn't that look fun? I says, oh, that sure does. So I'm sure we'll have something going on here down the road. But you don't want to join us, you don't have to. <laughs> but there's a difference between knowledge and belief. Just because you know the Word of God says you're healed doesn't mean you believe it. Just because you know that so-and-so was healed doesn't mean that you believe you will be. Just because you know that so-and-so's finances were taken care of doesn't mean you know that yours will be. You have to get from the place of just knowing that this is the will of God, knowing that God promised this to the place that I know it will happen for me. gave you four things here. First off, I know, for faith requires knowledge and belief, I know what the Word promises or teaches. You must know what the Word promises or teaches. That promise or teaching cannot come from a teacher, friend, co-worker, fellow believer, whatever it might be. It must come from the Word of God. You must know what the Word promises and what the Word teaches. You must know what God's will is. You cannot wonder about what God's will is. You must know where God's will is. We've re- repeated this a number of times, but Brother Hagin used to always teach us, faith begins where the will of God is known. You cannot have faith and, not know, and say, well, I don't know what the will of God is. You must know what the will of God is. And then you can believe it. But if you don't know what the will of God is, you will be undermined. I believe this is God's promise to me. I believe this is God's promise to me. It does no good to believe that this is God's promise for Creflo Dollar. It does no good to say, I believe this is God's promise for Fred Price. I must believe this is God's promise for me. I believe that God wants Fred Price prosperous. I believe that God wants Creflo Dollar prosperous. But I think He wants me poor. And people have that belief. Well, that works for him. And it won't work for me. You gotta, you gotta know and believe that God's promise is for you. You must know it. So I believe this is God's promise to me and I believe this is God's will for me. That God promised it to me and that God says, Steve, I want you well. I want you healthy. I want you healthy now. I want you healthy in this situation. Whatever it is, you've got to know that. If you do not know, if you think for any moment some of that false teaching that got into the church, well, God has you sick to teach you a lesson. 
even though no one in the New Testament was ever made sick to, to, for, to teach him anything. Can't find a single example of it in the, in the Word of God. Can't find a single one that Jesus came up to and says, Oh, I can't heal you. God is teaching you something. And yet all these same Christians, as we told you over and other people have too, all these same Christians, they believe that God wants them sick to teach them something. We'll go to the doctor to get well. We'll take the medicine to get well. That's just ridiculous. If God wants you sick to teach you something, get all of it. Don't go uh, taking medication. No, and I'll tell you, we don't teach you not to take medication. Please don't go out of here thinking that. It's just that why in the world are they, that's, that's a contradiction on their part. God wants you well. And I'll tell you what, God has made promises that you can, just, you can just get well. But if you can't get well that way, He's fine with you going out there and seeing a doctor and getting well that way too. God just wants you well. That's what He wants. He wants you healthy. He don't care how you get there. It's better if you get there, you know, just believe in God, certainly, than, than having to go through all the other stuff. But He says, if you can't get there that way, there's this way. But He wants you well. That's His goal. And would you have the, the same thing? If you have your children, you say, well, you can get well going this way. But I, don't, I know you can get well going that way too, but I don't want you well that way. Would you say that to your kids? No, you want them well any way you can, right? So you've got to know these things. Know what the word promises or teaches. Know what God's will is. Believe that the promise is for you and believe that, that it's God's will for you. You've got to have those things down. Those things are important because one of the things that keeps people from having this work in their life is that there's no faith in speaking it. They've said it. They heard something. Maybe they hear something about their company. Our company's going down. And so immediately out of their mouth comes a statement based on the knowledge of the Word that says no. And they say, no, 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 my company will be fine. No, 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 my job is preserved. No, 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 my God is taking care of me. And then as soon as anything else comes in, it begins to erode and to wear away because they didn't make the faith, they did not make the statement in faith. They made it merely on the knowledge that something was true. But they're not necessarily believing it. They don't believe it for them. They don't know it for them. No, you gotta know it. You gotta know that it's, that it's the, w- the will of God to speak. You gotta know it's the will of God for you. I know that this is mine. If you know it's yours, if you know it belongs to you, You'll take hold of that a whole lot more, won't you? I'll give you an example of our dog, our little dog Tucker. Little dog Tucker knows the difference between our plate and his bowl. He knows the difference. He knows that when something is on our plate, it is not his. When it falls on the floor, it is his. But it's, it is not his if it's on one of our plates. If it's in his bowl, it's his. So when we are, we come on over and we have our, our plate of our food, he will come and he will sit quietly and just look at you. The whole time that you are eating. He will not weary. He will sit there and he will look at you. He won't make a noise. He'll just sit there and look at you and hope that maybe out of the goodness of your heart, you will throw him something. And he's okay if it's just a little crumb. He's just happy as can be that you would think enough of him to give him the little crumb. And he's just happy. He'll eat that up and he'll come and he'll sit and just just wait. Now, if you put that, leave that plate there and you go into the other room, he will come over and he will look at the plate. But he will not touch the plate. 
because he knows that plate is not his. He will look at the plate. He also knows what will happen if he did touch the plate. He does not like that result. And so he stays away from the plate that is not his plate. And so he he doesn't go after it. But if you put it in his bowl, he is no longer wondering, will you give me some? He is after the whole thing. And if you go over and take his bowl away, he will still eat out of the bowl while you are pulling it away because that's his food. That belongs to him. you got to get so certain that you know this is mine. This belongs to me. I'm not over there begging for something to be thrown off of the plate. This is mine. Because if, you, if it's in your bowl, so to speak, and that belongs to you, no one will take it away. You know, no, no, no. This is, this is my bowl. This didn't come off your plate. This is my bowl. This is my stuff. This belongs to me. That's what we have to do. We've got to have faith in it. And sometimes, even though you know by, you've been studying the Word, you've been around this church, been in other churches, and you know God has, has said healing is yours, for years you've heard that. But now you're facing something, and you just want to approach it and just, ah, it's... Now sometimes you just need to pull back and go back into the Word of God and just meditate on Scriptures again. And just know. I know. I know this is mine. I know this is what the will of God is. Because I, oh, I tell you what, I get so tired of hearing the end result that people are believing for something and believing for something and believing for something and then when it doesn't happen and it goes in another direction, they say, well, I thought it might. Well, I wasn't real sure that God wanted to have me to have that job anyway. Well, oh, you got to get sure beforehand. You got to know. No, that's mine. That's what God wants me to have. God, you promised that to me. You told me. That's a job I want you to have. That's a good job for you. Go after that. And you go after it. And even after they tell you no, you still go after it. Because you know, that's my job. God told me. That's how sure you got to get to the thing. Know it. Have faith in it. If you have faith in it, you're not, you're not so easily shaken, are you? You have faith in that thing. I know that belongs to me. I will rule and reign in this because I know that belongs to me. So that's the first thing. Three reasons why what we say doesn't happen. No faith in speaking it. No faith in speaking it at all. We, just, we thought we, we, we pretended to have faith. We have knowledge. But there's no faith in it. I have knowledge. No, I should have that. That could be mine. Maybe. But no. No faith in speaking it. you got to have that assurance. So be a little more selective about the things that you say. The things you declare. And put faith in it. Number two. First one, no faith in speaking it. Second one, no right to speak it. There are some things Christians have said they have no right to speak. And we got to understand what things I have a right to speak and what things I do not have a right to speak. Remember, Jesus only said those things He had a right to. Even one time, Jesus is praying in the Gospel of John. And He says, Father, I pray these for those that You have given Me. I do not pray these for those that You have not given Me. He knew which ones He had a right to speak over. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 10. Take counsel together. But it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. 
Now, you can go back through and get the whole context of this and understand the whole thing. But what I want you to see is just because these folks spoke the Word didn't mean it was going to work. Speak the Word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. You can speak the Word and it not stand if God is not with you. If God is with you, you can speak the Word and it will stand. But there are some things you don't have a right to speak. In the book of Isaiah, there were times that God's Word came to Israel and said, you are going to be judged. This is going to happen to you. You cannot speak a promise of God that's against the judgment of God when He says, you disobeyed, this is what's going to happen. And sometimes people will try and do that. Lamentations 3, verse 37. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Christians are out there, folks, speaking things that God has not commanded, that God has not said. And you've got to find out what that is. How many of you all have uh, maybe buying a house or buying a car or buying a piece of property or some kind of a big purchase that you're going to do? And you're going out there and, and you saw that thing and you wanted it. This which what you had your heart's desire on. Whether it be the car or the house or whatever it was. You had your heart set on it and you just, mm, that's what I want. You can just, just, just use the house one for a while. How many of you in your searching for houses? Because you all know you looked at more houses than the one you're in. We don't all just walk into the first house. Here it is. Let's buy it. No, we walked into a number of houses. And there, if you're born again and you went into that house, you went into that house seeking the peace of God in that, in that house. That uh, you felt God's peace. Yeah, go ahead and do this one. My wife and I had that, the first house we bought. We walked into a number of houses. I don't know how many it was. 10, 11, 12 wasn't that many on our, we've, we've gone through more than some of the other houses we're at, but this one wasn't all, all that many. 10, 12 houses, something like that. And we walked into one, and as soon as my wife and I walked into the house, we knew the house was ours. We, we had God's peace all over. We both knew. We hadn't seen the upstairs. We hadn't seen the downstairs. We hadn't seen the backyard. We walked into the first room, and we just knew this was it. And we did. We ended up buying that house. It was a great house for us. It was a good, good starter house on that. And we eventually sold that house, made some money on it, and bought another house. Bought that house, made some money on that, and sold that one, and bought another house. And just followed God on the, on the thing as to, as to what we should do. But sometimes we walk into a house and I like this house. Oh, look at, look at the kitchen. Look at the backyard. Oh, look at how the closets are. And the basement. And we look at all these things and we fall in love with the house. But we never saw God on it. And didn't see God in a direction at all. And I'm not saying that the house is too expensive for you. But sometimes, you know, God says, hold on, that's a neighborhood, not going to help you out. Not going to be a good neighborhood. Or the house is ready to fall apart. House is good right now, but in three years it'll crumble down. I don't know what kind of stuff is going on. But God knows what's going on with the house. He knows that uh, he, no, I don't want you in this neighborhood. I need you over here in this neighborhood. I need your light shining over here. He has all these things in mind. And we got to get a hold of him with that. But sometimes we walk into the wrong house, but we like it. How many of you all know you can like a house that God doesn't want you in? I mean, come on. Weren't there other houses that you looked at that you liked? Oh, I like that house. Hmm. Yeah, oh, and look at that one over there. There's a whole lot of houses out there you can like. But then sometimes we get all hooked onto one house and this house, we have to get this house. 
this is the only house for us. This is, this is the one. This has to be it. We haven't sought God in it at all. We just say, God, I want that house. I like that house. You just make it work out and you just get me that house. And we throw it in God's house. Do I have a right to do that? If God comes to me and says, you know, if I have three or four houses and I like them all and I bring it before God and says, God, I have three, these three or four houses. I like them all. Which one would you have? And God says, you pick. If God says that to me, then I get to take my pick out of it, right? But what if God says, don't get that one? Take any of the other three, don't take that one. Then I need to listen to him. But what happens, you know, he says, all right, don't take that one, but any of these other three are fine, and I'm going on through, and I suddenly am drawn to house number four. Even though that's the one that I'm not supposed to... God says, no, I don't, I don't have a peace about God. God's not giving me a peace about going to that one. That one, I says, no, 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 that's not it. But I'm suddenly drawn to it. Because you've never been suddenly drawn to something when someone said you can't have it. Right? Growing up, mom and dad says, don't eat the cookies before dinner. Suddenly, suddenly, you have a hankering for cookies. Oh, I need to have some cookies. The doctor says, no more pizza. And what happens the next day at lunch? Man, I need a pizza. Oh, the pepperoni and the cheese. Some Canadian bacon. Oh, I need a pizza. Suddenly we need it, right? Because we're not supposed to have it. Yeah, that's kind of like human nature. There's some things we have no right to speak over and some of those things we don't have a right to is things that God says, no. No. Don't get that one. Don't go after that one. Then we feel, we walk into a house and we feel the peace of God on that house. We just feel, oh, this is where God wants me. But we don't like the house as much as the one down the road, the one in the other neighborhood. But we, this is where the peace of God is. Then where should you go? Because we need to speak the things that God wills. So sometimes we have a no right to speak on a thing. No right to it at all. Another thing, you cannot speak into someone else's life without them supporting it. You cannot speak into someone else's life without them supporting it. You may want to, but you cannot speak into that beautiful young thing over there that they will marry you. You cannot do it. That's not going to happen. You, you, can't, you can't just speak into other people's lives. You can't have that house that you felt the peace of God on or maybe you didn't feel the peace of God on or whatever, but you can't go speak in that house. You find out somebody else has an offer on it. You cannot speak into that person. Father God, I pray that all their finances dry up and they lose their job. <laughs> so that they can't buy the house and they just have your offer. You can't do that. You don't have a right to do that sort of thing. You cannot speak into someone else's life without them supporting it. They have to support it. How many times have people come over to you and say, will you agree with me on this? Will you speak with me on this? And, and we say, yes, but they don't support it. They don't go out there and support that thing. And sometimes we do that. We'll go in there and say, will you agree with me that this house is mine? All right. Would you, do you feel that you have God's will on it? Yes, I've, we've, we've prayed about it for a couple of days. We sought the Word of God on it. And both of us feel like this is the house we're supposed to go after. We have the will of God on this. All right. Well, then, yeah, I'll agree with you. We can stand with, with that and you pray together. And then the next day you find that person out there. Oh, I hope this is the house God wants for us to have. Oh, you got to know. 
Got to support these things. You cannot speak into someone else's life without them supporting it. They got to support it. So, because of that, understand this, nor can they to you. Other people cannot speak into your life without you supporting it. They can't do it. So fear no curse. People going out there putting a curse on you. So what? I'm not going to support it. And they can't speak into my life without me supporting it. What's the Word of God say to those who curse you? Oh well, I guess you're cursed. What's it say? I will curse those who curse you. Doesn't sound like he's too concerned about the things that they said. So you cannot speak into someone else's life. You do not have that right without them supporting it. They've got to support it. Cannot get in there and start speaking over someone who's unsaved. Father God, I just take authority over that person that they will decide to accept you and walk in the way of salvation. You cannot do that. That person needs to support it. Fortunately, they cannot do it to you as well. Do I have a right to speak for or with another? If you can get through these things, sure you can. Does God will it? Is it God's will? Do you know for for certain that this is God's will? Do they want it? No, you got that pretty young thing over there and you, you say, does God will them to be my spouse? Well, you can't say that for sure, can you? Do they want it? Well, not right now, but you know, eventually. (laughs) No, does God will it? Do they want it? Do they believe it? And do I believe it? Those are the things you have to get through. Does God will it? Do they want it? Do they believe it? And do I believe it? You get through those things, sure, you can get in there and you can help speak into someone else and to do that. But you've got to have a right for these things and you've got to understand how the Word of God works. You cannot just go out there and, and, and impose your will upon someone else. <clears throat> cannot do it. Thank, thankfully too, because no one else can impose their will upon you. So that's a good thing. So that's the second reason. First reason, no faith in what they're speaking. Second reason, no right to speak it. Third reason, no supportive speech. No supportive speech. Sometimes we negate faith words. People can go out there and they can negate faith words. They're speaking what is contrary to our believing. Speaking what is contrary to our believing. How do we do that? Well, if we get on out here, we, we get all excited. We heard the Word of God. We understand what the Word of God is for the will of God in this situation. And I'm all excited about it. And I get to the point at the end of the service or the end of the teaching that I heard on the TV or whatever it was. And I get all excited and says, I know God wants me to be healed. I know God wants me to be healed. So, this is where I'm standing. This is what I'm doing. And we make all the confessions and we do all the things and declare this and declare that and, and head on out. And then the next day, we get, are you sure? And when we begin to talk to other people, did you go to the doctor yet? And at first we start off with, no, I don't need to. I know the Word of God told me this because we had that on the inside of us and we, did, we felt good about that and that's where we were going. And then it begins to erode. begins to wear away. And by the end of the day we're saying, well, I hope it's God. 
I hope God wants me to do that. I think that's what it, it is. Remember, we have a house. There's a house that we have and we felt God's peace in that house. We walked into that house and everyone that was going to buy that house was in agreement. This is the will of God. We prayed about it for a couple of days or a day, whatever it was, but we know this is the will of God. And we got on in there and we, we made the offer and they told us no. They didn't like our offer. Oh, I, thought, I thought this was the will of God. I thought we were supposed to have it. I was sure we were supposed to have it. I just knew. And we, we give up. And we immediately say, so. why do we do that? If you were convinced that it was yours, why would you, why would you do that? How many of you are convinced that your paycheck at the end of the week belongs to you? If someone else comes up and takes it from you, do you say, well, I thought it was mine. I thought I deserved it. I guess I, I guess you deserved it more. Go ahead. You're gonna, would we do that? No. no. If you go into the bank and you have a $400 check and you say to the cashier, I want to cash this check and she gives you $300, what do you say? And that was close. <laughs> That's good enough. I mean, it was close. That's all right. She didn't want to give me all the 400 and maybe I just deserved 300. Was that what we would do? No. What do we do? We sit there, we count it out. Hmm. Count it out again. I think you made a mistake. I'm a hundred dollars short. Why do you do that? Because that is that's your money. I had the check. I'm pulling it out of my account. Whatever it is you're doing, that's your money. That's your paycheck. We wouldn't, we wouldn't settle for losing that, would we? Because I know it belongs to me. But we're not that convinced with the things of God that it belongs to me. And as soon as we have opposition, as soon as there's opposition, what do we do? Well, this. I guess not. Remember Peter and John at the gate? They raised up the guy, the lame guy, yank him up. He's out there walking and all that sort of stuff. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they all got around him and they said, Glory to God. We have been waiting for so long to see you healed. And now the day has finally come and we are so glad to see you healed that you're running and jumping and, oh, this is just great. What a great day. Isn't that what they said? Mm-mm. What did they say? Who did this? How is it that you are? And by what power did he do this? And should he have done that? And they begin to put under fire this guy. They begin to bring his parents in and put them under fire. Who healed him? He's old enough. Ask him. They want to get to the bottom. They're not glorifying it. And when the guy got brought before them, does he say, Oh, I guess I don't deserve it. I guess I shouldn't be healed. No, he doesn't do that. They hung on to it. Well, we got to hang on to these things too. If you got that, that, that sense from God, you know, that's the place that you ought to go. And suddenly there's opposition to it. What should you do? Go in there and fight. All right, what did they like about that offer? Let's do something else. Let's uh, fix it up. Let's do something else. No, that's, that's going to be our house. And you get in there and you, and you do something else. You fight for it, don't you? Don't just back out. If God says, that's the job I want for you. 
and they turned you down. What should you do? Go home? No, you go back to God and says, alright God, I know that you said that that job is mine. That you wanted me to have that job. But apparently they're not in agreement with that yet. So you tell me what I have to do next to get them to that place. And you find out what God would have you to do. You got prayed over, hands are laid on you for healing for that thing. And you go over to the doctor and the doctor says, there's no change. You're just as sick as you were before. Oh, I was so sure. I was so sure I was healed. I guess I wasn't. Is that what you should do? What do you do? Well, Doc, I appreciate your, your uh, checking me out and looking me over. And uh, I understand that you're telling me what you see. But I'm not going by what I see. I'm going by what God said. And God's Word said I'm healed. And you hang on to that. And you go. Now understand, we're not telling you, if you get in that situation, stop taking medications and stop you know, doing all the stuff that you're supposed to do. You know, diabetics shouldn't stop taking insulin. You could die doing stuff like that. You know, God heals you. Generally, you take the insulin, you have a bad reaction. <laughs> you just find out you don't need to take the insulin anymore. That's what you find out. And that's, you don't, there is, God has never called us to have faith in not taking medication or faith in not going to the doctor to get healed. He's told us to have faith in what? Faith in Him. Faith in His promises. You cannot switch one for the other and it work. There's a lot of people who want to go out and have faith in not going to the doctor, faith in not taking their medications, and therefore I'll be healed. That is not how God does it. Don't go that way. Believe God. And the doctor is going to tell you what he sees. That's all. That's what he's supposed to do. That's what his job is. And, and uh, you know what? I appreciate you telling me that. My Father God, I believe Him as well. And He says I'm healed. Now you, can, you can keep going doing what the doctor says to do. Again, the, the faith is not in not doing what the doctor says. The faith is not in disbelieving what the doctor says. The faith is in believing what God says. And you've got to get that part of it straight. Because if you don't, it can kill you. Faith is in faith. Faith is faith in God. And that's it. Not all this other stuff. So, we negate faith, faith words, speaking what is contrary to our believing. We speak healing, but we're planning our funeral. Isn't that right? Have you seen people do that? Speaking healing, I thank God I'm healed. And tomorrow they go out and they plan a funeral. Well, just in case. Just in case it doesn't work, I need to have you know all this stuff taken care of. That's why we tell people, we've been through this before with folks that are facing a death type of an illness. Take care of all that stuff ahead of time. Everybody facing a death illness, something that wants to kill you, and now you got a battle. Well, what happens if it doesn't? Because that thought will come to you. Don't have that going on. So you're speaking healing, but you're planning your funeral. You're speaking employment, but you're planning for unemployment. I thank, Father God, I thank you that you give me a job. I thank you that I have a job. Now, what am I going to do next week when I'm still unemployed? Hmm. Or somebody says, can you do something with me? You know, two weeks from now, I'm going to be moving. Oh, yeah, I don't have a job. What are we doing? We're, we're saying words in the gate what it is that we're, we're believing for. I thought you were believing God for a job. Why don't you start talking like in... And uh, when they're, when I'm, I'm probably working. I'll, I'll come over after I get done work, though. Don't speak words that are contrary to what you're believing. Make sure you get your words to line up. That's why sometimes it's just better just to hush.
just to be quiet. Some people say, well, I'm just being prudent. (laughs) Boy, that's a good excuse, isn't it? No, you're out of faith. And you let some things go on to pull you out of that. You know, we've already taken care of this. My wife knows exactly how to handle my funeral. She knows exactly what I know how to handle her funeral. And we know exactly what we're going to do. And we're healthy and well and there's no death in our, in our future. <laughs> but you know, we're all eventually going to die. If God doesn't come back before Him, we're all eventually going to die. Take care of it. Line it up. Get it all taken care of. She knows exactly how I want to be taken care of. I, some other people in my family may not like it. Don't matter. That's how I want to be taken care of. She knows how to do it and she'll take care of all that and I'll take care of her. We all have that taken care of. I have a life insurance policy. I'm not planning on using it. But I have one. <laughs> get all those things while you're well. Can you imagine feeling like you're going to die and that, well, maybe I better get a life insurance policy. Yeah, that's faith. Yeah, that's faith. See, this goes back to the importance of knowing and believing. You've got to know and you've got to believe. And you have words that will support what it is that you say. Just evaluate all your words. Sometimes we come back to God and we begin to pray words of doubt. We come back to God and we say, Father God, I thank you that you have provided a job for me. That you are leading me in the direction to go. And the next day we come back to prayer. Father, I still don't have a job. What am I going to do? I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be broke. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. Those are not words that support what it is that you believe. Have words that support what it is that you believe. We negate faith. We negate with faith. Uh, I'm sorry. We negate Faith words with contrary words. We neglect faith words. Sometimes we neglect faith words. How many of you all like houseplants? Anybody like houseplants? If I lived alone, I can tell you exactly how many houseplants I would have. Zero. None. Now, when I was, a, when I was in high school, I had them all over my room because of some of the things I was pursuing. I had fish tanks and plants and there was a jungle in there. But, if I was if if I was single and just had my apartment, there would be zero houseplants in the house. There would be plastic ones, very nice plastic ones, but ones that needed no care and no thought. Maybe be dusted off every once in a while. That would be it. But how many of you have, have houseplants? Started out with one houseplant. How many? How hard was one houseplant to take care of? It's pretty easy, wasn't it? Then you, you go out and you, you start shopping around and you find another house plant. Oh, I like that. Oh, a spider plant. Oh, I don't have one of those. I'll get a spider plant. I'll get a, uh, what do they call, a wandering Jew plant. Or a, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that I used to, to know. Some of those palm tree plants that you can put in there or fig trees and all these things. You got all these different plants in there and now you have five plants and then you have ten plants and then you have 15 plants and then you have 20 plants and then you have 25 plants and before to water your plants it was simple you fill up the the jug and you go and you put a little water on and you're done and then there was five and you had to water five of them and you make sure that they're all taken care of and then there were 10 and then there were 15 and then there were 20 and now if you go away on vacation you must have people come into the house to take care of the plants because the plants will be dead by the time you get back from vacation so people have to come in and water the plants and every day you get up oh I didn't water the plants oh, I gotta go out and water the plants and there's a job and so now you have it in shifts and now on Monday you water the plants in the back side of the house and on Tuesday you water the plants in the front side of the house and then on Wednesday you water the plants on this side of the house and then you water the plants on this side of the house and now it's a chore and once was real real fun now you've got plants all over the place 
and they got to be fed and trimmed and all this sort of stuff taken care of. And it, what was fun, now it's becoming more of a chore. Sometimes we can neglect faith words because we have put so many out there that I have declared things today and I have forgotten about it tomorrow. When you take a seed and you put it into a pot and you water it, are you done? No, you're not done at all. Faith, folks, is just like seeds. Faith words are just the seeds of the harvest to come. You plant the seed for the harvest to come, but you've got to get in there and you've got to water it. You've got to nurture it. How many seeds can you maintain? And for everyone, it's different. I don't think there's, a, there's not a set answer. You can't say, well, five is it. Because some people can handle 30. Some people can handle two. You, you don't know. But if you are going to put the faith seed out there, you've got to water it. You've got to maintain it. You've got to do stuff with it. You need to go out there and, and not just let it alone, not just let it dry out. Father God, I thank you for the job that I have. Father God, I thank you for the wisdom I have in that situation. You are watering this. You are taking care of this thing. Every time a doubt or unbelief begins to come in and try and set inside, you are on, you are on guard against this thing. You're not letting it set in. No, no, no. That's not going to happen. No. And you maintain it. If you are going to put faith words out there, you need to have supportive speech. You need to not have speech that tears it down and you need to have speech that waters it. Faith words are the seeds of the harvest to come. Don't take on, don't take on more than you can care for. If the most you can do is one seed project, one seed faith, then don't plant any more than one. It's a whole lot better to plant one and have it grow than to have ten and have them all die. Take care of what you can. Have supportive speech. Have faith in what you're speaking. And have a right to speak it. Know that you have a right to speak it. If you follow these things, you will find that most of your problems in this area will disappear. There are still some things that might come up that may get by you that uh, you thought you had a right to it. You still believe that you had a right to it. You may get up in heaven and God says, you had no right to do that. You may thought, I had faith in it. But God may say, no, you remember this? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's still ways that some of this stuff can get in there. And we're not aware of it, but be careful with it. Don't just speak things just to speak them. Don't just say them because, well, it's a good thing for me to say it. I thank you that I prosper on my job. I'll go back there and meditate on the Word a little bit. Do you want to put that seed faith out there? If you're going to put that seed faith out there, you need to support it. You need to have words that are going to support it. I had this written down. Somebody said this. You've got to stay with what you say. <laughs> I like that. I thought that was good. You've got to stay with what you say. So make sure you say the right thing. And then stay with it. Just because some kind of something comes up to cause you to be doubt, have some doubt and unbelief about it doesn't mean that you just give in to it. Fight it. Stand against it. No, Father God, I know I had your will on this. I know that you said... If God says, go out there and get that job and you took that job and now all of a sudden the company's having some trouble and you're getting some doubts. Oh, this was not a good job to take. Why did you leave that nice job you had and take this job over here? But after you and you told me this was good. You let me know in my spirit I had your peace on this thing and I am here because you said so. So I thank you that you're watching over me and you're taking care of me and I have nothing to fear. Boy, I tell you what, God will like that. 
God doesn't like it when people show up in the desert with no water and grumble and complain. He does not like that. He likes people who say, Father God, you brought us out here to the desert to, to find water for us no matter where it comes from. We thank you that it's here. That's what he likes. He doesn't want Israelites to show up. You brought us out here to kill us. He wants people to say, you know what? You took care of us before. I thank you. You're taking care of us now. It is your will that you brought, that brought us here. Even though we face no water here. Even though we face no food over here. Even though we face an army over there. Even though we face this plight over here. Or this problem over here. You have brought us here. And you will take care of us. And you will preserve us. And Father, we thank you for it. you got to stay with what you said. You're going to declare it. Stay with it. Don't become wavering. Stay with it. Keep that mouth of yours going. As the uh, example in James talks about, the big ship is guided by the little rudder. The only way that rudder can steer the ship is if the rudder is connected. If that rudder ever loses its connection to the ship and just flaps freely, it has no ability to direct the ship. The only way it can do it is if it's connected. You gotta keep all these things connected. You gotta keep that rudder connected to God. You gotta keep that mouth connected to God. And speak out the things that He says. And then keep believing it. Maintain it. Support it. Make sure you had a right to say it. And have faith in what it is that you say. Have faith with what the Word of God says for you. Father God, I thank you that so and so laid hands on me. And when they did, healing power entered into my body. And I thank you that healing power is working in me to produce and effect a healing in my body. Thank you for it. And stand on it. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you that we have been called to rule and reign in this life and that the words that we say with our mouth are powerful. We want to say the things that line up with your word. We don't want to speak so many things that they lose their effectiveness, they lose their power. We want to say those things that we're willing to support. And we'll give supportive speech. We won't speak contrary words tomorrow to what we believe today. But because it's a belief, we will speak out of that belief. It's not just a knowledge, it's a belief. I know this is for me. I know this promise is mine. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us in that. Thank you for the way that you lead us and guide us. That those areas where your word does not show us exactly what your will is, you show us by your spirit. We thank you that we can know these things that we need to know for our life. We don't have to hope and pray that someday you might show them to us. Father God, you want us to know. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.